The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to this edition of the Stockhead Wildcatter. And today we're delighted to have Dougal Ferguson, who's the Managing Director of XCD. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dougal. Thank you, Peter. Uh, Dougal, uh, XCD is a sort of rebadged, uh, rejuvenated version of Entech, uh, recapitalized and renamed with a bunch of new assets focusing really in Alaska. And Alaska's become somewhat flavor of the month, especially since Oil Search moved up there and has had great success in appraising its uh, interests. Now, I know you've had a fairly long uh, history in sedimentary basins around Australia, uh, looking for and finding oil and gas. Can you tell us a little about your journey uh, that through the oil and gas industry and how it's taken you ultimately to this Peregrine project in Alaska? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Peter. Um, look, uh, my background uh, certainly started in uh, the Perth Basin many, many years ago and with the Discovery Petroleum, which was then taken over by our Premier Oil out of London, who have also um, just recently moved into Alaska and are drilling a well currently with uh, 88 Energy. Then I uh, sort of after about uh, seven or eight years in the UK, uh, came back to Australia again, working in the Perth Basin uh, with Arc Energy until that was uh, finally taken over by AWE in the day, uh, which led me to a couple of small caps, which the prior one to this was Elixir Petroleum or Elixir Energy as it's now renamed, uh, which did a couple of transactions uh, in the Mongolia, but also this transaction with the, the Alaskan assets. Uh, and when we had the two in one vehicle, we decided that uh, the best uh, option for these assets would be split into two entities, uh, with Elixir focusing on its Mongolian assets and uh, and these assets being put into what was then Entech Energy. Uh, that happened approximately 12 months ago, April last year. And since then, we've just been completely focused on the company's assets in Alaska, picked up a number of new leases and really now pushing ahead with the uh, farm out of the uh, of our main prospects in, the, in their area, in the leases. So, Dougal, um, this new area is uh, located just 35 kilometres south of the Willow uh, Discovery, uh, which is about uh, 450 million barrels of oil equivalent or more. Um, And so are you seeing, from a geological point of view, uh, you know, what sort of evidence do you see that that trend extends further south into your permit areas? Yeah, so initially what led us to this particular area was uh, opportunistic, I guess, um, in seeing what was happening with uh, with both Picker, which is now a Picker Horseshoe now owned by AllSearch uh, and Repsol, and also obviously what was going on in the open acreage out to the in the NPRA or the National Petroleum Reserve of Alaska. And as we looked more into it, got, got all the data from the USGS, downloaded and started interpreting that data, we saw the same feature, the same form as they call them, uh, heading sort of laterally north-south uh, down towards uh, the area we've now picked up our leases. Um, and with the the sort of outlier being uh, Umiak being a very large oil accumulation 
uh, in a structural setting to the south of us. So a lot of the historical uh, thinking was that there is sort of a, a gas prone area to the south of where Willow is. But we looked at some of the data and it came to the conclusion that uh, based on some of the studies we'd done, that that may not be the case. And given the Umiak accumulation to the south, that gave us some confidence that uh, perhaps the oil um, does extend further south. Um, since that initial uh, analysis we did, uh, there's been announced by Conoco in their recent uh, results uh, announcement that they're drilling three wells at a prospect called uh, Harpoon, which is approximately uh, 20 kilometres to the northwest of our leases and, it, and getting even closer to, to our uh, lease position and further south, which is interesting. And they're drilling three exploration wells, or three to four as we understand, on that prospect. And that's drilling at this time. We, we understand they've literally spotted those first wells, first well uh, now. Uh, and also today, just been announced in the, uh, in the Alaskan press, is that Armstrong, which picked up about a million acres in the recent lease sale, uh, heading further west again, uh, have just done a transaction with a group called Borealis, who on about uh, 100,000 acres, Again, getting very close to uh, Harpoon, uh, the Conoco exploration wells, and, and getting close to our area. So that's very interesting given uh, Bill Armstrong's uh, history in this play uh, and the discovery of the original Pika Horseshoe unit, which he then sold to AllSearch for approximately $150 million US dollars. So Conoco Phillips are experts in the area. They, they're your near northern neighbours. Uh, the work that they're currently doing is going to be uh, instrumental in enabling you to attract a farming partner or partners at a, um, you know attractive level. So I guess those wells will go on. They're, they're drilling back to back, sort of two or three wells uh, in that Willow area. Uh, yeah, so we understand they're drilling uh, a number of wells in the Willow uh, field, which are appraiser wells, and they've got a separate rig drilling these exploration wells, which we understand drilling Harpoon being drilled yeah. back to back. Yes. So that should set you up for next winter uh, in a very strong position. Should the you know, depending on the results of those wells to to attract some interest in in your in your permits. Now you're looking there there are uh, layered uh, structures that you're looking at. There's uh, Nanushuk, uh, the the shallower zone, and then there's a deeper Tarok formation as well. Um, what sort of costs are associated with drilling down to the First, the shallow is like 1,500 metres or something, isn't it, uh, Dougal? Uh, it's about uh, it's about 1,500 metres, correct. It's about 4,500, 5,000 feet. Yeah, and then the deeper targets would be a little bit more expensive. What sort of costs, you know, I know uh, moving equipment across the tundra and it, usually it's the winter drilling periods and so forth. Uh, how much do those sort of wells cost in Alaska? Yeah, well, look, certainly that's uh, always been a um, something we've had in our mind as to, uh, I guess, uh, one of the more negatives in the region is the expense of drilling, to, particularly to the deeper targets. Um, so, look, what we're doing is uh, sort of a two-pronged approach on, on that. We're recently at NAEP uh, just a few weeks ago in Houston. And, look, the large companies, I mean, the very large companies are all showing interest in this play. I mean, this is one of the hottest onshore conventional plays uh, around at the moment. And people that aren't already in are looking. So we have two two strategies on that basis. Is If, if a large company, a very large company wants to come in and take a meaningful position, 
uh, shoot a thread is seismic, go about it in the way they like to go about these things, being data-driven, then obviously we're open to that sort of um, deal as well as also targeting what we're calling a low-cost drilling initiative. And really what that means is for the shallow targets, you don't actually need these very large rigs that they uh, have tend to use in the slope in the past to get to the 10,000 feet depths. You only need uh, potentially uh, either a minerals rig or a converted minerals rig or a workover rig potentially to uh, get down to the 4,500, 5,000 feet depth and effectively just prove up, you know, is there oil within these, what we call, what we're seeing is bright amplitudes on the seismic or, or not. Um, and given the fact that you are in a relatively uh, remote location, 20 or 30 million barrels isn't really going to cut it economically. So you don't have to be exactly the, 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 the crest of the, or the ideal part of the structure. Well, it's not actually a structure, it's a stratigraphic trap. Um, and in that case, it doesn't really matter if you leave 20 or 30 million barrels up dip. You just really want to prove your the concept and that there's oil in these uh, in these bright amplitudes we're seeing on the old 2D seismic. So we're we're, we're going about it in this what we call a you know a, a, an innovative way, uh, but in some respects it's really an old school way. Uh, many of these big structures, big uh, discoveries were made on 2D. Uh, and then people went out and shot a 3D and developed the field based on 3D in the past. It's only been recently that I guess people drill smaller structures on uh, on 3D because they're looking for smaller pools, uh, say in the Gulf of Mexico or wherever they're looking. Yeah, so the, the way forward depends. There's a lot of activity going on, as you say, with ConocoPhillips drilling up to five wells, Oil Search currently drilling another two. And of course, uh, 88 Energy is uh, just about ready to spud it's uh, Charlie Well, a bit further to the east. Um, so there's quite a lot of interest there. And as you say, yep. you can tailor you tailor your uh, the way you go forward. If you have a big party, they might want to come in, uh, staged entrance, do the seismic. If that looks good, drill a well. Uh, but really, as you're saying, uh, the, the cost of drilling a shallow well is probably um, less than the cost of drilling of doing the seismic. So you could actually go in there prove that there's oil there and then step back and go and do the 3D seismic once you know there's a target there worthwhile uh, looking at. Exactly. And look, I didn't address the cost, but based on our initial work we've done so far, we think for between 12 and 15 million US, we can drill two wells, uh, two shallow wells into the Nanashook, which we've got two main uh, prospects at the moment, called one called Merlin, one called Harrier. And the combined mean net resource that we've had independently verified by, by ERCE is around about 1 billion barrels for those two prospects combined. So it's substantial enough that uh, for you know, 12 to $15 million uh, investment, that's a pretty good return uh, if you can prove the concept and, as you say, go back at uh, a later date, shoot a 3D, develop the field um, in a more conventional uh, way and of course, you know, it's not really our business to be doing that. Um, at that point in time, obviously, we'll be looking at uh, doing exactly what Armstrong did and monetizing the investment exactly. Yeah. So uh, you're saying, when you say a billion, is that in the both formations or is it just in the Nanashook? That's just in the Nanashook. So with the deeper formation, the Torok, uh, there's another half a billion barrels that have been assessed by ERCE. But obviously, with the, the shallow wells, we wouldn't be targeting that at this stage. What um, with ERCE's uh, estimates, what sort of recovery factor are they putting in to come up with those, um, you know, one point six billion barrels type um, prospective resources? 
Well, the recovery factor is, uh, I mean, there, as you said, there, these are layered targets, so it does vary between the different uh, targets, but in the region of 25 to 30% recovery factor. Yeah, well, that's reasonable, I guess. Um, and um, has there been any additional farm out activity? I mean, you spoke briefly about that before uh, around you in that area. Uh, look, the only, as I said, transaction has been announced today, which is uh, uh, effectively Borealis farming out to um, uh, to Armstrong in their 100,000 acres, which is uh, immediately adjacent to the area that Armstrong just picked up. Uh, that's the most recent transaction, I mean, literally <laughs> yes, yesterday. Um, uh, but the other parties that have in been in farm out mode, I guess, are um, oil search, we understand are looking for partners for some of the acreage they picked up. Um, and we also understand that, in fact, it's been announced that Conoco are looking to sell down 25% of their total assets in Alaska. They own 100% of most of their positions, uh, which is not a farm app, clearly, but that'll be a multi-billion dollar transaction when it actually goes through. And one would assume that they've they've already commenced that process and were well on the way. So look, our, our format has only just commenced. We literally kicked off at NAEP a few weeks ago. Um, we're in the process now of uh, uh, you know doing the usual follow ups, and and we'll be getting out there and and really pushing uh, uh, pushing it out to the various companies we've been speaking to. Uh, getting so. a data getting a data room yeah. formalised and so forth. Yep, exactly. Yep. So the company, about 700 million bits of paper out there are listed, a uh, market cap of about $6 million, and I think you ended the year at about $2.5 million, uh, December 2.7 or something like that in cash. Yes, uh, about that. That's uh, Those numbers are pretty much on the, on the mark. Um, so we, literally today as well, uh, there's been 100 million options list, uh, listed as part of the uh, capital raise we did late last year. So they yeah. should start trading any day. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, as you say, the two cent options uh, exercisable by the uh, November 2022. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting time. I mean, clearly the, uh, the current uh, market uh, situation with coronavirus is not helping anybody, but there is a huge amount of activity up in this part of the world. And, uh, look, as you said, a lot of uh, drilling around us um, and that could be really a game changer for the for the company in the short term if any of those uh, uh, wells, particularly the Conoco wells, are successful. I mean, what's very interesting, just quickly to dwell on that for a minute, is that Conoco have committed to three to four wells on one exploration target. So they must be extraordinarily confident. And look, we've got the 2D data over that area and it does look uh, to be very uh, bright amplitude. They're drilling. They clearly have 3D. They also clearly know what they're doing. So uh, the chance of success on that, I think, would be, in, in all terms, pretty high. Yeah. And Conoco have, pro- have shown themselves to be quite nimble. They, uh, three or four years ago, they sold out of West Africa entirely. Um, just recently, they've sold out of uh, the Timor Sea and then quickly moved to take up a position uh, with 3D oil in the Otway Basin. So they're, And as you say, they've got this uh, area, uh, the Willow area, and now they're looking to to uh, share the cost of, of that going forward now that they have a, uh, a discovery there and, and they're actively, uh, you know, they're not dying in a ditch wondering, they're going to go back and, and drill some more. So it's, I think it's quite an active part of the world and it should reflect on, uh, on your prospects as the year unfolds. 
Yeah, and just the other point I'd just like to make is that uh, you know Armstrong picked up a million acres in this most recent lease round. Uh, a lot of people, uh, I mean, one of the things we were a bit curious about was that this area was still relatively open for leasing. Um, and we've been managed to pick up uh, two hundred thousand acres literally through lease rounds over the last couple of years. And uh, look, with the with the recent acquisition by um, by Armstrong with the million acres which was approximately 12 million US dollars they paid for that uh, position. Uh, that really puts uh, a new level of uh, validation across this play, um, given his experience and uh, success in the area in the past, or sorry, in the play in the past with the Nanashook. And uh, look, the acreage positions, uh, there's really only four players there now. There's Conoco, Borealis have a small land position, Armstrong with their million acres and, of course, Conoco. And that's in the NPRA, which is the federal side of the uh, Alaska that we're in. Um, that's it, really. There's just the four of us. <laughs> so we're in pretty, pretty good company. So you, uh, those uh, permits are just subject to a federal lease or 12.5% royalty rate or something? How does that work? Yeah, that's correct. So they're 10-year leases, uh, no commitments whatsoever. Uh, you pay $3 per acre per annum US to hold them. And the, as you said, twelve and a half percent federal royalty, which is actually shared between the state and the and the feds, but it's it's less certainly less to hold the land and less royalty than on the state side. Just quickly, just on that is uh, one thing is infrastructure in the area. We had a very good discussion in uh, Houston with uh, Corey Foggy, who's the uh, the DNR head of the commissioner at the moment, and uh, one thing that. The, the US or Alaska does very well is not having excessive infrastructure across the slope, the north slope. So there is a very much uh, a infrastructure sharing arrangement in place where companies must allow access. So the TAPS pipeline, which heads down to Valdez, is um, is open, of course, but even the pipelines that run across the north of the slope through, which might be owned by Conoco or various other parties, uh, there is access arrangements where you can get access to that uh that infrastructure. So, look, that's good news from the point of view that Willow will be, is only 35 kilometres north of us and eventually when it's on production the next year or two, if we have any success in this region, you know, we will be able to access the infrastructure as well. And those uh, pipelines, of course, are running well below their uh, capacity and the uh, pipeline operator wants more oil in them just to keep them functioning and keep them hot. Yeah, exactly. Yep, uh, particularly TAPS is uh, is running about, I think, just less than 50% capacity at the moment. Yeah. So uh, in an ideal world, uh, Dougal, you would be looking to get a farm in interest uh, by in the second half of this year uh, and perhaps be on the ground in the coming winter doing something or would you think that would be uh, later into 2021 before you could actually do any drilling work? Uh, look, I think if we can uh, if if we can put this uh, low cost drilling initiative in place um, yeah. sometime in the next few months, we'd be targeting drilling next winter for sure. Uh, if if we get lucky, if you like, and get a, a large company coming in, I would imagine it'd be a three D seismic would be shot. We've done our um, all of our archaeological studies and various uh, environmental work that we need to do to allow that to happen. Um, and that would be uh, probably the next phase for a large company coming in. But look, if, if we get the, uh, as we say, the coalition of the willing to uh, come along and, uh, and stump up and, and take a punt at some of these wells, I would imagine we'd be drilling uh, or we're targeting drilling anyway uh, next winter. 
Is the seismic typically done in the winter or the summer in that part of the world? Uh, everything's done in the winter, so seismic okay. uh, and drilling are both done in the winter. At yeah, I knew that. I knew that the, the drilling is done when the ground is hard, but you know. Yeah. So the the other th- interesting thing is we've been talking to a group who've uh, out of Alaska who are trying to initiate a uh, summer drilling campaign. And look, given our location near Umiat, which has an airstrip, uh, one of the few in the area. Uh, you know, that has some potential and that would involve choppering in sort of heliportable uh, small rigs and uh, primarily uh, converted minerals rigs, what they've, they've got on their, uh, on their books at the moment. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting concept that we're pursuing um, with them because if, if that can be done and economically and safely and environmentally friendly, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, that could really be a game changer as well for uh, this part of the world. Yeah, and in any case, the shallow wells would you could do that with a sort of truck mounted type rig rather than these big uh, rigs that people see. You know, that sort of uh, three pipes at once, and you know, multiple you know, like twenty truckloads of equipment to get it out there. Uh, it can be much simpler uh, types of uh, portable rigs, which the United States is very good at. Yeah, and of course, the big thing in the, the summer months, you can't drive across the tundra because uh, there are no roads and, uh, you know, it's very marshy, boggy, et cetera. So using these heliportable uh, concept, which has a very, as you say, a very small pad uh, compared to the traditional uh, winter drilling, then that really does open up the possibility to do this uh uh, in a, and again, we've talked to the DNR and the BLM in the in the Anchorage uh, about this, and they're sort of they're well on they're on board with the idea, but of course there's still a few uh, hoops to jump through to make sure that can happen. Well, of course, your neighbours uh, oil search are masters of the art because that's what they do in Papua New Guinea, and the terrain is pretty uh, difficult, and they have to sort of chopper everything in. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I think I think there'll be a lot of people who, if it can be proven to work, will obviously get uh, on board with the whole concept. Okay. Well, thanks, uh, Dougal, for coming in. And really, I think our uh, Wildcatter listeners will be very excited to watch you over the next 12 months and see uh, how the, your neighbours go with their drilling activity uh, just to the north of you. And so by the end of the year, uh, you should be in a strong position with signed up farming partners to take you through 2021 and 2022. So thanks for coming in. Thanks a lot for the time. Cheers.